You didn't know you could uh, take a kiss song and add spiritual meaning to it, did you? The Bible says in the Psalms, make a joyful noise unto the Lord. And I've heard some of you singing, that's about all you can do is make a joyful noise unto the Lord. Someone said, I don't understand why we do music like that. Well, we kind of like to say we like to redeem society around here. I think Jesus was amazing at that. He would take things of the day and he'd apply biblical meaning to them, whether it was talking about fig trees or sheep or whatever was relevant that day. And there's nothing more relevant than the power of music. And I always tell people, here's the deal. I'm not a good enough preacher for you to leave here and remember what I taught you. But when you're driving down the road and that song comes on, it's amazing how many times I get messages. Someone says, man, this song came on the radio. Do you remember the time you preached on X, Y, and Z? So I would say, you might not remember my sermon, but you'll always remember the musical illustration of the sermon. So that's always good. And that's what we want you to do. We want you to leave here, and we want the messages. The Bible says that this book is alive, and it's sharp, and it gives us life, and the words come back to you. And it's amazing how the Word of God will come back to you in times when you need the Word of God to come back to you. And I think that's just so powerful so many times. We're in the last week of a series that we're calling Satan Sucks. And as we brainstormed and I thought of different names for the series, there's really nothing else you can do to describe our enemy than the fact that he sucks. He seeks to destroy us. He hates the things of God. He hates those that are moving forward in the name of Jesus, and he knows he's defeated. And if you've ever been around someone who knows they're defeated, man, they will fight dirty because they know they have nothing to lose. And we have an enemy that we live in a day and time where we've taken him way too lightly. Now, I'm not one of those guys who sees the devil behind every bush, and I'm not one of those guys that every time we do something stupid, we blame the enemy. Sometimes bad things happen just because we do stupid things. But I think also the other end of that is, is we just ignore the fact that we are in a spiritual battle. We ignore the fact that we have an enemy, and he hates the things of God. And we live in a day and time where we've almost turned Satan into a joke. Hollywood's turned him into a joke. Movies have turned him into a joke. TV shows, songs. And, and I think what it does is it's kind of mellowed us out to not realizing, almost lulled us into a comfort zone of forgetting that we have an enemy. And we don't want to spend time in these services glorifying that enemy, but we need to be aware of the way he moves, and we need to be aware of the way he operates, and we need to be aware that he wants to do nothing more than destroy us, destroy our purpose, destroy our families, destroy our children, and do whatever he can do to keep us from advancing the kingdom of God. Because make no mistake about it, we're left on this earth, I believe, for one reason and one reason only, and that is to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. Now, I believe we're left here to worship God and there's all these things, but here's a, we can do all those things in heaven. The one thing we can't do in heaven that we can do here is make sure that the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, the death, the burial, the resurrection, the fact that for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The only reason we're left here is because we can carry out that message to all who need to hear that message. But when you advance the kingdom of God and when you go about living a life on mission, you can rest assured that the enemy is going to do whatever he can to attack you. And But then here's the good news. The Bible kind of gives us his game plan. He says this in 1 Peter 5 eight. The Bible says, be alert. Be of sober mind. Now, I know that's a foreign concept for a lot of people who call Action Church home. So let me explain what that means. Sober mind means being in your right mind. 
It, it, it means not being influenced by outside things, having clarity in your thoughts. It says when it comes to the enemy, we need to be alert. We need to be aware. We need to be of sober mind. We need to be of clear mind because your enemy, whose enemy? Your enemy, my enemy, my wife's enemy, my kid's enemy, this church's enemy prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Here's the reality of the situation. We have an enemy, and he prowls around looking for someone to devour. He can't devour everyone. He's looking. He's stalking his prey, trying to figure out who has a chink in the armor. Is it chink or kink? Kink? In my world, it's chink, okay? I'm the one talking today. Okay? Who has, a, who has a weakness in the chain? Who has a, a, a little something that they can grab hold of and he can unravel everything in their life? He's like a roaring lion. And you've heard me say this the first week of the series, so let me say it again in case you are new and you don't know where I stand. A lion is part of the cat family. The devil's a lion, therefore cats are evil. If you have a cat, I'm sorry. That's just the look. And it's looking for someone to devour. Our enemy wants to devour us. And they say what's so amazing about a lion is, they say the lion is the most ferocious animal in the jungle. But very rarely does the lion have to go to battle. Because they say the lion has stalked out its prey so much, he knows its prey's movements, he knows its patterns, he knows how it goes about doing things, that when the lion actually decides to attack, it's quick and it's swift and it's instantaneous victory for the lion. He doesn't have to use his power. We, we have an enemy out there who's powerful. But he doesn't have to come after us in a powerful way because he stalks us. He knows our movements. He knows our mindsets. He knows our weaknesses. He knows our hurts and our habits and our hang-ups. And he does whatever he can to attack at the right moment. That's why we've got to be alert and we've got to be a sober mind. The Bible says this in John 10, 10. The thief comes only, only to kill and destroy the enemy wants to ruin everything that you are and everything you stand for. And one of the ways I'm convinced that the devil attacks us is by trying to steal our joy. We live in a day and time where it just seems like I call my, and I'm just not a very compassionate guy, so I feel like I, I come across more people that I, I put on the label, and I'm sorry I don't mean to label you, but I put on the label, man, they're just an Eeyore. Remember Winnie the Pooh? Eeyore, it was always Debbie Downer. Love's so bad. Man, it's been raining for five days, and now the sun's up. Yeah, but now it's hot. <laughs> yeah, you know. We've been in a drought, and it's finally raining. Yeah, but now it's raining too much. Like, no matter what's going on in their life, it's always, they just bring you down. We live in a day and time where joy is in limited supply, but what's so amazing is this book talks about joy over and over and over. See, we live where we pursue happiness. Happiness is based on circumstances. This book very rarely talks about happiness, but it talks a lot about joy. Joy comes from the Lord. 
The joy comes from knowing who you belong to and that you're on this earth because you have a purpose. Joy comes from not knowing you're not going to have bad days, but knowing when those bad days hit, you're going to get through them. But the enemy comes along and he tries to take our joy. And there's no greater time that he does that during the holidays. I'm actually going to be talking about that in a few weeks. We're starting a new series next week called Tis the Season. We're going to be talking about some things we deal with during the season, financial pressure and stress and depression. It's going to be a real encouraging series during the holidays. We're going to talk about how you get through those things. But the enemy loves to come along and try to steal our joy. Instead of focusing on all the great things that are going on in our life, we get focused on the negative things in our life. Instead of focusing on how much is going right in our life, we focus on what's going wrong in our life. Instead of focusing on how wonderful and all the great things our kids do, we focus in on the one or two things they do that drive us crazy. Instead of focusing on how amazing our marriage is, we focus on the one or two things that are lacking in our marriage, and we allow the enemy to set up shop in our mind during those times. Instead of talking about the job that we have that pays our bills that we're grateful for, we start talking about all the things we can't stand about our jobs. We become a society that focuses on the negative instead of the positive. We have a mindset of negativity. You don't believe it? Get on Facebook. Like Facebook has given everybody an outlet to complain. They very rarely compliment. When was the last time you saw somebody get on Facebook and brag on a restaurant that they ate at? But boy, they'll get on Facebook nonstop and complain about a restaurant they ate at. When was the last time you saw someone get on Facebook, unless it's their anniversary or their spouse's birthday, and get on there and brag about their spouse? But they'll get on there and they won't complain about their spouse. They'll do it in a subliminal way, a passive-aggressive way, in a way where you don't know, oh, who could they be? Oh, I know who they're talking about. That way you'll private message them. Is everything okay? Everything's fine. Why are you asking? Because you posted a post wanting me to ask. Don't be stupid. <laughs> you know? We live in a day and time where negativity reigns. The devil knows if he can get us down and focus on the negative things in our life, if he knows if he can get us focused on the things that aren't going the way we think they ought to go, then he can steal our joy. And when he steals our joy, he can steal our purpose. And there's nothing more the enemy loves than destroying our purpose. We just got done with Thanksgiving a few days ago, and I've told you this before, Thanksgiving is my favorite holiday of the year. Food, football, I'm starting to dig the fact that family comes around. Because now they come to our house, so I don't got to go anywhere, so I'm really down with that. You know, it's awesome. And it's just a great holiday, man. It's just the one time where it seems like everything stops for one day. And it just seems like there's harmony. Now, it might be an illusion, I don't know, but it just seems like everyone gets along. The brother that you can't stand all year, man, on Thanksgiving, man, it's all high fives and everything's awesome. The parent who drives you crazy because they criticize everything you do and second guess everything you do even though you're a grown up and you've never asked them for anything. On Thanksgiving, man, everybody's high fives and it's great. And the family you haven't seen since last Thanksgiving because you've avoided them all year long. On Thanksgiving, they're there and it's awesome. I love Thanksgiving. And this year, I've just been a lot more appreciative of things. And I went through a weird time in my life last year. And you go, you go through a weird time where you almost lose everything and you make really stupid decisions. And you come back and you're grateful for Thanksgiving. I was looking, I know I had to drive Christine crazy. Oh, I was like so excited about Thanksgiving. So excited about Thanksgiving. And she finally looked at me and she said, listen, 
I know you hate people coming over. You're overdoing it, though, exaggerating how excited you are, okay? I was like, no, I'm excited about it. I couldn't wait for Thanksgiving to get here. I wanted to enjoy every moment with our kids. And we went the night before Thanksgiving and did the family picture thing. And Man, we were holiday season, it, man. It was an awesome time. And it just got in my mind how excited I was about the holidays and how at other times in my life I haven't been excited about the holidays. And I stepped back and I asked, what was different this year than other years? And the only thing that was different was my mindset. I, I, as the older I get, I'm actually doing some studies because I want to do a series on it because the Bible talks a lot about the mind. I'm learning that our mind dictates so much of what we do. And, I, and I'm not trying to get into this positivity thinking, preaching, but it does, man. Our outlook on life and how we view things determine how we deal with things. If we go into them with a negative mindset, then they turn into a negative situation. So many times we make a situation so horrible mentally before the situation ever happens that there's no way the situation could have went good because even though it went good, we had a bad attitude to begin with it. You know what I mean? I already seen that with some Georgia fans going into next weekend. <laughs> well, it's Alabama. We don't see. How, how are you going to go into the game like that already? Knowing we're going to win. Knowing that G stands for God's team. <laughs> Knowing that everybody hates Alabama, so for one week everybody's rooting for Georgia. It's a mindset. Now here's the deal. If they lose, that's okay, but I'm going into it positive. I got it mapped out, my day mapped out. I know where I'm going to be and whose house I'm going to be and how it's going to go down, and we're going to win. Because my mindset is positive going in. Now, here's the deal. Sometimes when you go in with a positive mindset and you play a team like Alabama and you still lose, you lose. But I ain't going in with a negative mindset to start with. We've got to be positive in life. So what I wanted to do today was just ramble for a little bit. And I want to give you some reminders today of some things that we have to be thankful for. We're going to get real old school today. How many of you grew up in a Baptist church? Baptist church. Leave your hands up, because I, when I finally got in church, it was a Baptist church. Awesome. So let me tell you, look, you put your hand down. So if you didn't grow up in a Baptist church, I went to a Baptist Bible college. And so what they teach you is, they call it three points in a poem. So here's how you put a sermon together. You got a couple of points, and here's what the points have to do. They have to either start with the same letter, or they have to rhyme. Because that's the only way people remember anything. If they start with the same letter, they rhyme. So today, we're taking a whole other level. They're going to start with the same letter. Now, I tried to get them to start with the same letter and rhyme. That doesn't work because it's the same words. You know what I mean? So that didn't work in my head. It took me a little while to figure that out. And I don't got a poem at the end. But we're just going to go a little bit old school today. Because, again, I knew it was kind of going to be action church people today. And I just want to remind you of how much we have to be thankful for. Because in a day and time, especially during the holidays, that ought to be the hap, hap, happiest time of the year, it turns into the most miserable time of the year for so many people. And I'm convinced is we've allowed the enemy to steal our joy. Satan sucks. If there ever ought to be a time of the year as believers, we ought to be excited. It's Thanksgiving through Christmas. Thanksgiving, we come together and we give thanks of how good God's been to us. And we get family and friends and we celebrate the birth of our Savior. Well, that's not even his birthday. It's when we celebrate his birthday. And we celebrate the fact that God loved us so much he was born in a manger. And he lived his life for 33 years and he gave us life. And it just ought to be a joyous time of the year. But it turns into a negative time. I've never understood people who dread the holidays. I look forward to the holidays. 
I look forward to everything that goes on. It was just a great time to give you some reminders today because here's what happens. Life happens. And life can be hard, and life can be frustrating, and life can be discouraged. I told her, I think it might have been this morning, I told Christian, I said, I need to write a book called My Crazy Life. And she instantly was like, your crazy life? What's crazy about your life? And she listed all the things that were crazy in her life. And she's like, I'm going to write a book called My Crazy Life. I said, well, we could write a book called Our Crazy Life. She said, no. It ain't my crazy life. But here's the reality. We could all write a book called My Crazy Life. I've always joked that my life ought to be a reality show. The reality is, is everyone's life could be a reality show because life is crazy. And when the craziness happens, immediately what happens is we focus on the craziness instead of the goodness of all that's in our life. So here's the deal. This ain't going to be some deep theological sermon today. But I want to give you some reminders today because as you get frustrated over the next month and you get overwhelmed over the next month and you feel the pressure of the holiday setting in the next month and life is coming at you crazy and work's crazy and family's crazy and every day, me and Christine were talking to I said, man, the last six days we have been non-stop. We get up and and again, you know, she had to come back and be like, every day's like that for me. And it's true. We have five kids in the house, a toddler. We had a pig and two dogs. I mean, life gets crazy. But for the last couple of days, it's been crazy for me, okay? So, you know, I'm selfish and I think all about me. So when life gets crazy, I want to give you some reminders today of some things that we have to be thankful for. And in the process of being thankful for, all to restore our joy. Now, here's what I'm telling you. That doesn't mean life's not going to get bad sometimes. That doesn't mean there's not going to be things that you don't like or going to somewhere you are dealing with issues right now with your children, man. I don't know that I've ever been part of a church more where so many people were battling issues that involved their children. It breaks my heart. I catch myself praying about them nonstop. I couldn't imagine some of the issues that you're going with. It seems like right now we're definitely in a time in our church where addiction is just on a rampage. And so, pe- not, and everybody automatically goes to one person, but there's several people in our church that are battling hurts and habits and hang-ups right now, and you see them imploding their life. And, it, and when those things happen, you can't avoid them happening, but there's some reminders. And the first thing I want to remind you today is we ought to be thankful for our salvation. I mean, think about that for a minute. God loved us so much. God loved you so much. God loved me, Gary Lamb, the chief among sinners, so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to pay the penalty that we could never pay. He loved us so much. And it's one of those things we get angry and we get mad. Glenn posted something today on Facebook. It was really interesting. And he said, go check out this youth pastor. And so I was in my office and I went and checked it out. And it was this youth pastor. I think he's out of Florida. And he listens, him and his son, they do a podcast and they play very popular rock songs, very heavy metal songs. And they were breaking down the lyrics of these songs. And they played one today. And this guy, it was just so angry. And the story behind the song was the guy's mom had been in a wheelchair for 25 years. She grew up a Christian. She never, from what I could gather from the song, he was angry that his mom was in a wheelchair. He was angry that this God would allow his mom to be in a wheelchair. 
He was angry that she never wavered in her faith when she was in a wheelchair. And it was just anger. The song was so angry. And he was made the comment in the song, basically paraphrasing here, because I just heard it one time. And he was basically saying, how could a loving God, how could your God, F your God, do this to you? But the, the thing that caught me in the whole song was not his anger. It was the fact that the mom never wavered in her faith that she never questioned in her faith. See, we live in the day and time where we think God owes us something. We think, and we have a lot of preaching that goes on in our day and time, where the minute you enter into a relationship with Jesus Christ, everything is going to be great. Boy, it's going to be daisies and lilies and bubbles and unicorn farts, and it's going to be amazing everywhere you go, and you're never going to have a heartache, and you're never going to have a problem. But here's the deal. God owes us nothing and if he never did anything else for us he gave us salvation he gave that's amazing but we forget that the bible says i i love this in psalms 35 it says then my soul will rejoice in the lord and delight in his salvation David's going through hell in this verse. David's going through struggles in this verse. David's got the whole world against him in this verse. And he said, but I will rejoice in the Lord, and I will delight in his salvation. There's another part that says, taste and see that the Lord is good. I'm here to tell you today that God is good. I always get a kick out of people, especially in a church like Action Church, where so many people don't have a church background. And you, you've heard me say this before. And the arrogance is like, well, if I walked into the church, the roof would cave in. Don't flatter yourself. <laughs> I, I know that you think you got the big bad ego, and if you walked in, the roof would cave in. But listen, we got a God who loves everybody, everywhere, right where we're at. And he gave his son for us. Salvation is this amazing gift. And here's the amazing thing about God's salvation. Don't miss this. You can't earn it. You can't buy it. Your church membership, and that's good news for those who call Action Church home, don't affect it. But it's not a matter if we do so many good deeds that outweigh our bad. If we're just good enough. Well, my question always is, is how good is good enough? Because as I read the book, I never see where it says how good is good enough. And what the church has done is the church has cheapened salvation. Because preachers have got up on the stage and they've used scare tactics among their people. Instead of saying that salvation is just of grace, well, you know what? You got to do this and you got to go to church every week and you got to give this much and you got to serve and you got to read your Bible every day and you got to pray. And all those things are great things, but they have nothing to do with salvation. It's a gift. And you can't earn a gift and you can't buy a gift. And if you have to earn the gift, it ain't a gift. And if you have to buy the gift, it's not a gift. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. God loved us so much that he gave his only son. That you and I could experience salvation by simply trusting in what he did on the cross. It's not what we do. It's what he did. And I think that we forget that. We forget the gift of salvation. We forget that God loved us so much. Again, I, I love this verse in the Bible. In Psalms 40, he says, he, oh, he lifted me up 
out of the slimy pit. How many of you have been in a slimy pit before? I, I, I like that word slimy. So let me tell you a story. Let me tell you a story. It goes like this. Now, so about two weeks ago, you know where I'm going? You going to sit down there and laugh on the front row? I was out exercising because, as you can tell, I'm the epitome of health. And Christine calls me, and I don't remember what happened, but she had an attitude. And I said something, and somehow she got mad at me. I didn't do anything wrong, except maybe have a little bit of attitude back. And this is how you know you're in trouble, because this is my wife's thing. My wife's like, well, I love you, but I'm going to let you go right now because I don't like you, and I'm getting irritated. (laughs) Click. I knew I had done nothing wrong that much. I'm out doing these lunge things that we do and working out. And it, this is when it had been flooding and pouring everywhere. So I'm in Etowah River Park, and I'm taking this pre-workout stuff, and it makes me got to go to the back. i got to pee like crazy here. And so I'm out there in the middle, and no one else is stupid enough to be out on the track because, man, it's raining, but I'm so dedicated because, again, as you can tell, the health. And um, I'm like, i got to pee, you know. And I'm sorry, again, if you're new and you don't like to hear about Pastor Pete, I'm just telling you what happened. So at Etowah River Park, there's a little jut-off where you go to launch your kayak into the river. I remembered it in my head as being paved. But the river had gotten so high that it had basically covered the whole thing with mud. So I step out onto it, and I begin to slip. You know why? Because it was slimy. And I'm slipping, and I'm slipping, and I just eat it. Boom, all the way down, almost into the river. I'm covered from head to toe in mud. I stand up. I'm, I'm irritated. I'm, I'm cussing. I'm mad. I'm angry. And that's a little bit of an incline. I'm like, I got to get back. So I start to walk, and I slip again. Now I'm face first into the mud. So now my whole side's covered in. My whole front's covered in. And it was, so, it, it was literally like walking on ice. And as I was reading this verse week, I understand now why he put it in there like that. He lifted me out of the slimy pit. Because when you're in a pit, you can somewhat try to get a grasp to get out of a pit. But I could, I had to crawl up this. I was so angry and so mad because I wasn't going to fall again. And so I'm crawling, and every time I call, I'm sinking in the mud. And here's the deal, the Etowah River is a nasty river. And so it smells not real good. I'm, I'm, I'm furious. And I blame it on my wife because I figure after she hung up, she prayed that God would allow it to happen. I go home. It's cold. It's rainy. I can't even walk in the house. I got to go out and get under the water hose. I'm out there squirting down. It was a slimy pit. When you're in a slimy pit, you can't get out on your own. He, he, he threw that extra word in there. Is that, is that called an adjective? Dude, would you even know? You're from Louisiana. Is that, is that, is that an adjective because it describes something? He had to throw that adjective because he wanted to be descriptive. It ain't just a pit. It was a slimy pit. Before you knew God, you were in a slimy pit. You were trying to figure it out on your own. You were trying to make it on your own. You were looking for answers in all the wrong places. You thought you had it together. You ever meet someone who thinks they know all the answers? I can guarantee you, baby, they're on their way not to a good place. They, when they think they know everything, and that's the way we were, we had the answers for everything, but our life's falling all apart because you were in a slimy pit. 
And it says he lifted me out of the slimy pit. Notice what it doesn't say. It doesn't say he put us in a position to work our way out of it. It doesn't say he gave us some traction where we could crawl out of it. It doesn't say he made it dry where we could walk out of it because your actions have nothing to do with it. He reached down because he so loved the world and he lifted your sorry butt and my sorry butt out of the slimy pit. Not only did he lift us out, he got us out of the mud. Out of it. Man, let me tell you something. Mud and mire, I mean, it was caked on me. It was smelling. I, like, I, ain't, I was dry. It smelled so bad. I'm dry heaving. I'm trying. And then I'm like, crap, I got to get in my car now. And I'm just mad. And I'm stripping down at the wine. I'm trying to wipe it down. But my clothes are so dirty, you can't wipe anything down. And now I'm driving home and basically some shorts and no shoes and no socks. And basically my underwear, I'm thinking, this is when I'm going to get pulled over. And so I look in my dash. I'm like, do I at least got my license? I don't got my license. I'm like, golly, this is going to be hard. I made it home. But I was in that mud. And I was in that mire. And that's where you were, you've been there, you've done that, you've got the scars to prove, but he set your feet on a rock and he gave you a firm place to stand, and you want to have your joy robbed today? Are you freaking kidding me? If he never did anything else for us, he gave us salvation. He loved us so much, but our mindset forgets that. Our mindset wants to focus on how bad we got it. That's the enemy coming. I skipped this verse a minute ago, but it's so good. The Bible says in Proverbs 23, 7, For as he thinks in his heart, so he is. As you think, you will be. You think you're a loser, you'll be a loser. You think you don't, you're not good enough, you won't be good enough. You think you're a bad mother, you won't be a good mother. You think you're a bad husband, you won't be a bad... You think you're an addict... And listen, I understand, I don't want to get in that whole discussion again. I'm just talking about mindset. Our mindset has got to be... Brandon, don't go posting subliminal stuff on Facebook about me again. All right, listen, listen, listen. <laughs> listen. Our mind is so powerful. Our heart is so powerful as we think in our life. But we buy the lies of the devil. The devil defines us by our sin. And Christ calls us by our name. We've said that for three weeks. Grady said it last week. I said it the week before. It's so true. You need something to be thankful about today. Man, you be thankful for salvation. That God loved us so much. And all of our mishaps and all of our imperfections. And and, and again, I, I just think we forget that sometimes. That the creator of the universe died for us. Where we could have eternal life. This world's not our home. We're just passing through. This is just a pit stop on the way to eternity. It doesn't matter how bad it seems here. This is not the final destination. But we amen that and we hoop and holler that, but we don't live like we believe it. And when life comes as we forget the goodness of God. So we need to be thankful for our salvation today. Let me throw you another S out there today. Johnny Hunt, be proud today. Hey, we got to be thankful for our suffering. I think this might be the most overlooked aspect of having true joy in our society we overlook the suffering we whine in the suffering we hate the suffering we despise the suffering we wallow in the suffering we focus on the suffering we go back and replay the suffering and we never thank god 
for the suffering. You are who you are today because of the suffering you went through yesterday. I tell people all the time, I wouldn't change anything in my life to be where I am today. It's been hell. I got the battle scars to prove it. I got the wounds to prove it. I've taken the hits to prove it. But here's the deal. I am who I am today because of the suffering I went through in years past, in months past, in weeks past. But we overlook suffering. Suffering is a part of life. Sometimes we suffer because, man, God takes us through the suffering. Sometimes we suffer because we just make stupid decisions. Sometimes we suffer because other people make stupid decisions. Hello. It only affects me, you, you, you idiot. No, it doesn't. But, man, we got to embrace the suffering. That don't mean we need to stay in the suffering. Man, when I'm suffering, I'm going through hell. I want to do all I can to get out of it. But I don't look back at it with regret. I, I don't look back at it. And I, gotta be, I do look back at it with remorse. But I look back at it too as, man, at the end of the day, all things work together for those that love the Lord. God took those bad mistakes, he molded them, and he shaped them, and he made me a better person today than I was then. The Bible says this in James, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. He said consider it joy. He said consider it pure joy. That word means without blemish, perfection. Consider it, it's another one of them adjectives. Look at me giving y'all some edumacation today. Consider it pure joy. My brothers and my sisters, whenever you face trials, because you know <coughs> that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. He, he says, you don't learn on the mountaintop. You learn in the valley. You don't learn in the daytime. You learn when it's so dark, you, you, you got to look to God to get through. It takes the trials, and it takes the hurt, and it takes the tribulations, and it takes the bad decisions to get us through because it tests our faith. It's easy to trust God when it's good. It's easy to praise his name when the bills are getting paid. It's easy to give a shout when you're sober. It's easy when your marriage is clicking. It's easy when the kids are for whatever, all the stars have aligned, and for that brief moment, they're all walking and sinking line. It's easy when you're finding fulfillment and purpose in life. But it's not always going to be that way. You're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulations. Uh, just look back at your life over the last year. Now, I'm not talking about the last 10 years. Just the last 12 months. It's amazing in my mind what I've been through. Some God put me through. A lot I put me through. And a lot of suffering, but it's during those times that your faith is produced. It, it produces that perseverance. It, it's in the times when your marriage is about to fall apart, and you stick it out. When you hit that 50-year anniversary, you look back. You don't look back and say, man, all them good times got us here. You say, no, man, all them bad times made us stronger. Sometimes you got to break something. You would about to go. They say it's stronger than when you began. 
Because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Verse 4, let perseverance finish its work. Don't rush the suffering. That's probably the biggest lesson in my life in the last 12 months. Let perseverance finish its work. I wanted to rush the healing. I wanted it on my terms. And sometimes you've got to let it finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. I got a saying right here. Apparently, I like the word suck a lot because we say Satan sucks, and I always say you got to embrace the suck. You got to embrace the suck. And in my life, man, I fight. I preach it, but I fight it. I don't want to deal with the suck. I want to fix it. I want it fixed on my terms and right now. But when I finally step back and I breathe and I embrace it, it's amazing how quickly God begins to heal it. I spent 10 months this last year fighting the suck. I finally embraced it. In two months, things start coming into place and things start healing. I'm like, dang, I should have embraced it 12 months ago. But I had to do it on my terms, not God's terms. You got you to be thankful for the suffering. You know why I can be thankful for where I am in my life right now? Because I remember the suffering when I wasn't there. I remember when I didn't have two pennies to rub together. I remember when I lost everything. I remember when I started out in ministry and the first job I ever took in a church, they paid me $13,000 a year. And the only way I fed myself was I'd go to the door every now and then there'd be a bag of groceries from someone or someone would give me a $20 handshake and that. You think that I feel bad about some of the success I've seen now in different business ventures I'm doing? No. I'm grateful for them because I remember the suffering in them. I'm braggadocious about where my marriage is now. You know why? Because I remember when it wasn't there. The suffering sucked. Going to sleep every night wondering, man, am I going to wake up tonight or is she going to stab me in my sleep? Because she's a cope. I'm grateful now that I can just sleep with one eye open instead of both eyes open. You got to embrace the suffering. Suffering's horrible. The suffering's painful. The suffering's frustrating. But oh my goodness, the suffering is what makes us. I was watching a guy yesterday and he posted a video of his 14-year-old son, I think it was. And I, I might mess this up. Is it called forging? When you stick something in the fire and you beat it out? He was bragging on a son who was forging these knives. It was amazing. But here's what was amazing to me about it. He would take this lump of metal and he'd put it in this heat. Extreme. He's so hot that the metal would turn bright orange. Sometimes it's in the furnace of the heat you get to learn. And then he would take it out and with a hammer he would beat the metal. You know I'm not a very mechanically inclined person so I've never seen this before. I was intrigued by it. He had to fire up the metal. He had to heat up the metal. He had to get the metal in an uncomfortable position where he could mold the metal the way he wanted it to be. Mm. Mm. That's good preaching if a white boy is doing it. 
I told you before, I seen some black ones shuck the corn, but a white one's getting to do it today, son. That is good preaching. Sometimes God will put you in the furnace. He'll put you in the fire because that's the only way he can shape you because I got a bad tendency when everything's going good. I'm too arrogant to hear from God. Go worry about someone else, JC. I got it today. Oh, do you? That's that's how I picture God doing things. I don't know if he does it that way, but that's how I picture that's what I would, oh yeah, you got it. <laughs> I don't know. Muscle relaxers. <laughs> Embrace that suffering. Man, it's so easy to look at the negative in suffering, but suffering is so powerful. We are who we are today because of the suffering. We don't grow during the good times. Like I said, we grow. Like, if you ever look at a mountaintop, it's beautiful and it's got the snow on it, but nothing grows up there. It's always barren. You get down in the valley, and everything's green and the flowers are blooming. It's in the valley that we grow. It's in the valley that we're strengthened. Man, it's incredible. I always take a chance. I don't even think I've ever told my wife this. And I know he probably thinks, nah, I, I say he thinks I'm crazy. I don't know because he always answers my questions. And, um, but anytime I get alone with her grandfather, he's just, he's just wise. I never had any wise people in my life like that. And um, he's so smart in business. And I think they just, 45 years, they just celebrated a marriage. And I did it again on Thanksgiving. Me and him were alone in the room. And in between him nodding off during the football game, I, I'm like, hey, how? Five years is a long time, man. What's the key to that? I'm always picking his brain. I'm always learning. And it's always amazing to me. He, he, he's, he's not much for words, but he'll throw some stuff at it. It's always, yeah, during this time, this happened, or during this time, that happened. And it's wisdom nonstop. But it never comes from wisdom from the good times. It's always wisdom of oh, the rough times. It normally involves Rick being crazy, and we went through, you know, we went through that period with Rick. And, and no, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's my father-in-law. Romans 8, 28, we know that all things, all things God works for the good of those who love him, who've been called according to his purpose. You don't understand why you're going through what you're going through right now? You don't understand why you're dealing with what you're dealing with? I wish I had some magical answer for you, but I know this. The Bible's not a book of suggestions. It's a book of promises. And God says all things work together. Now let me make this very clear to you. It doesn't say it'll work the way you want it to work. But it says in the end all things work together for the good of those who love him. Who've been called according to his purpose. You can't see the light in the darkness. But God is already making a way. He's got a plan and a purpose in that. And my mind goes to, we have a lady in our church who's dealing with something with her daughter right now, and it breaks my heart. And, and I think to myself, man, I, for whatever reason, I had a discussion with her about a week ago, and it's been in my mind a lot. And I'm like, this scenario and this scenario and this scenario could happen, and that scenario could happen, and this could happen. And I know what this person wants is this to happen, but I'm thinking to myself, this might not ever happen, but this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, or maybe this does happen. I don't, I don't know what's going to happen. But I know she loves the Lord, and it's going to work out for the good of those who love the Lord. Works in God's timing, not my timing. And sometimes we don't want to hear that. I don't know the outcome of it, but I know that it's going to work. You know what I mean? I know that it's going to work. We know that all 
things, God works for the good of those who love him. Hey, you know something else we ought to be thankful for today? Our story. Our story. You know what you have that nobody else has? Your story. The story of your life and what God's done in your life. And I think, again, this is one of those things that we overlook in the area of being thankful. We take for granted our story. We want to forget parts of our story. But we are who we are today because of the suffering. And because of the suffering, it molds our story. I've said this a thousand times. Your greatest ministry will come out of your greatest mess. I've been in this situation where I've seen my wife recently develop and she's living out her calling and living out her purpose. And, and I, Is that going to be her calling forever? I don't know, but I see her thriving in it. But you know why I see her thriving in it? Because of her story. If you go back and you look and you see all the pieces and all the heartache and all the pain and all the put her in position for this. And it's an amazing thing to happen. You know why I get to pastor the church in the ghetto and love every moment of it? Because of my story. It's, it's weird. People always ask me, Man, how is it pastoring down there? And what they mean is, you pastored the biggest church in town and now you're in the ghetto. And I love pastoring the biggest church in town. And I love pastoring the church in the ghetto. I love it. I wouldn't trade being here for any place in the world. I've had other churches come along. They must have been stupid and drunk, but they come along and said, man, we want you to come and think about being our pastor. When we first got together, there was one in Swanee, Georgia. And it was a lot of money. And they made it very clear, listen, man, you don't get to do anything, just preach. I was like, well, you're going to pay me how much money? All I got to do is preach? I got 20 years worth of sermons. That sounds like a good gig. Well, can we come listen to you? I said, no. Well, will you pray about it? I was like, no. I said, why? I said, I got this church in the ghetto and, you know, got to work five jobs to be able to do it every week. But, man, I like it. And, man, no one else will put up with me. And I said, here's the reality. Y'all run me off after three weeks. And, and you know, they'll already have a new pastor because they'll move on without me. So right now I got them hoodwinked and I'm going to stay there. Because you know where you're at. This is my story. Our story's powerful. I love what Paul said. He said, here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ came in the world to save sinners to who I am the worst. Paul's always sharing his story. He said, man, I can relate to you. You think you're bad. I'm the chief among sinners. You think you got it rough. I'm the, I'm the, the worst ever. And he had some background. Man, Paul, before he met Christ, you know what he did for a living? He killed Christians. Like that was his gig. Like they paid him to hunt down Christians and kill them. And God radically changed his life. And now he's got a story. Can I tell you today that you have a story? And your story's unlike any other person's story in the world. There's no one that has a story like you. And you know what your story's for? It's for somebody out there that needs to hear your story. Who Gary Lamb can give his story all day long and they're going to roll their eyes and not connect with it but you're going to come along and give your story and they're going to relate and they're going to, it's going to draw them to God. I talk about all the time, you got people that I'll never be able to influence, but you'll be able to influence them because of your story. I use this all the time as an expression, I mean as an illustration, but I saw the time when Michelle Adams, and I'm not trying to broadcast her news, but everybody knows her news because she was in the paper. 
And, um, but you know why I can relate to her? Because I was in the favor. And so when I saw it, I was just like, ha, ha, ha. I think that's how I started the message. You good? Been there. Guess what? None of you would have been able to do that. I could. I knew what she was feeling. I knew the shame and the embarrassment. I knew the redemption she felt as she began to put the pieces back together, and she set everything back right. I knew it. I've been there. And it's not knocking you, but in that situation, my story was able to work. There's women in this church that my wife's story has been on the impact that I'm like, I don't, I don't really get what you're saying. You need to go talk to my wife. There's people I'm like, I don't, I don't really know what you're talking about. You need to go talk to this person or that person. Guys, you ought to be thankful for your story. Your story's amazing. And it's our story that draws people to Christ. Paul killed Christians. He's cruising down the road, the road to Damascus, and guess where he's going? To kill more Christians. God comes to him, calls him out, radically changes him, and Paul spends the rest of his life spreading the gospel. And if, as you look at his life, you'll always notice a pattern when he told his story. First of all, he starts with his past. He said, I was the chief among sinners. Now, don't miss this. He didn't glorify his past. He didn't talk about his past glamorous. I can always tell where someone's at in life when they're telling their story about how they tell their story. If they glorify the past, they're still living in the past. I, I used to love, and I still do, I just don't have time, but I used to love to go to speakers meetings. That's a, a meeting in AA or NA where just a speaker gets up and shares their story. But I could watch people give their stories and I always knew where they were in their recovery based on how much time they spent on the past. If it was an hour talking, they spent 15 minutes talking about the past and sharing their story. I remember the time I did this, and I remember the time I did that, and I remember the time. I always knew, man, they're never going to make it because they're glorifying that past. And there's power in story because stories connect. But don't glorify, but always talk about your past because your past is the connection to whoever you're talking to. And then you talk about what God's done. Man, God radically changed your life. And you start pointing people to Jesus. Your story's amazing. Some of you this week, I give you a little homework assignment. You ought to go back and just, as you're driving to work, turn the radio off, turn the TV show off, and just reflect on your story. Because your story is powerful. Your story is game-changing. Your story will bring people to Jesus. And we ought to be thankful for our story. And every story's got low points and high points and low points and story arcs and this and drama and dilemmas and a hero and a villain. And they're all going to be transpired in your story. And people are going to come to Jesus because of your story. People are going to be helped because of your story. we got so much to be thankful for. i got to wrap this up today. And I needed a last S. I knew I want to hit on this point, so this might be a stretch, but bear with me today. That's okay. We need to be thankful for the sanctuary, our church. We live in a day and time where I feel like church is getting minimized more than ever. We live in a day and time, and I think technology is amazing, and we ought to use technology, and we ought to embrace technology, so don't leave here saying Gary's anti-church is doing this. I'm not. But we live in a day and time where instead of coming to church, we can just get on, log on to the Internet, and watch church. And that's awesome because the Word of God doesn't come back void, and we can worship on our home, and the Bible says we're two or more gathered. He's in the midst of them, and I get all of that stuff. 
And I get technology is amazing because sometimes you're traveling and sometimes you can't make it and I understand. But there's just something powerful about gathering together. And when we eliminate the gathering, we're missing out on a huge aspect of the church. There's just something amazing about getting together and being part of a church family. Well, I mean, I'm part of the family, I just don't go. Then you really ain't part of the family. Like, I, I accept that when it comes to my side of the family, I'm not really part of the family. I, I know them and they claim me, but I don't do nothing with them. My family has this weird thing where everything they do is on Sunday. So I am, I maybe, maybe not want me there. I don't know. So I just don't go. You know? Now, Christine's side of the family, they change everything around. They change Christmas Eve and all kinds of stuff when I got in the family. You know why? Because they want me to be part of the family. I'm connected with that family. We do stuff with that family. There's something powerful about being part of a church. And if you attend a church, let me back that up. If you attend Action Church and you just don't feel like you can keep get connected at Action Church and plug in at Action Church and be welcomed at Action Church and feel like you fit in at Action Church, then you're probably at the wrong church. I don't want to see anybody leave, but I'm more interested in you finding the right fit for you and your family than I am growing our numbers every week. I tell people all the time that visit this church, hey man, we'd love to have you, but man, if we're not the church for you, hit me up on Facebook and tell me what you're looking for. I'll make sure I help you find a church that finds what you're looking for. Oh, BTW, though, maybe you ought to quit looking for a church that fits your needs and find a church where you can fit their needs and live a life on mission. I I just threw that out there for you, you know. Hey, the Bible says this, I rejoiced when those who said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. It ought to be an exciting place to come to the house of God. It ought to not be something we dread. It ought to not be something that, that's a burden. It ought to be something that's exciting. And I joke all the time, but this ought to be more exciting than any football game, any basketball game, any rock concert. I've said it before. We ought to pull in the parking lot on Sunday mornings and people ought to be tailgating in the parking lot, firing up the grills and making breakfast. And if you are making breakfast, I like bacon, egg, and cheese biscuits, so let's make that part of the menu out there. And it ought to be exciting. It ought to be a fun place to come. This ought to be the most exciting place throughout the week, anywhere there should be. This ought to be a party because of our salvation, because we're thankful for our suffering, because we remember our story. This place, We've allowed church to become some dead place, and I just don't get it. Church is not about being so prim and proper and having it all together, and we've turned the church into a business. And we've turned the church into a corporation. And I got, I, sometimes I walk in and I'm like, oh, that sign's crooked and those chairs and that. And, it, and I'm like, who cares? They used to meet outside. They used to meet in houses for fear of their lives. I don't care. It's an old grocery store. Let's come together and party every week. This is a unique place. I get it's not the place for everybody. But it's a unique place. It was funny yesterday. The paper wrote an article about me. And they, they interviewed me for that a long time ago. I didn't know it was coming out. And um, I came out and it was, I forgot I said this quote. And I was like, yeah, I don't know. You know, our church is just kind of a weird place. And I thought, boy, everybody's going to think I just insulted them. I didn't mean it like that. And then it was like, 
It's a church full of this and a church full of that and a church full of this. And it named all these segregated labels that we are, you know, bikers and LGBT and all these different things. I said, they just come together. And my heart in that was just to mean like, it's just a church full of people who feel shunned by your normal church. It's just a group of people. And again, not saying it's wrong, it's just a group of people for us that just believe, man, the church is not about how much land we own or how much money comes in. It's just about living out our name. We understand, and I believe every church has a mission. I get it. But ours is just to be the hands and feet in Canton. When we started this church, we've done a lot wrong, but we said from day one we want to be a church for the city, in the city. We intentionally looked at a map and said, what's the center of town? This was the center of town. There was one building next door that was open. We rented that joker, had no idea that you had to, do, you had to have a permit to remodel or do whatever, didn't even have a bathroom in it. FYI, if you ever go start a church, make sure it has a bathroom in it. And, and we met for two weeks, and the city put a red tag on the door and shut us down where we couldn't have church anymore. And we met outside in the parking lot, because here's the deal. We just don't worry about those things. It's about doing whatever we can to help people. How many of you were here, and I know it wasn't a lot of you, how many of you were here when we used to meet outside? Remember that? Remember Nancy? Like we would have literally drunk home, literally drunk, woke up and sit in the service. And like, amen, I'd be like, all I'm doing is the greeting, man. Like, quit amen. And people were freaked all out. Like, remember they would come with those shirts on, and, man, they smelled horrible. And so, I mean, it's just what we do. I don't know why it just works. Yeah, we had First Baptist Canton donated these blankets to us for the homeless. And, like, we wouldn't let the homeless use them at first because we were meeting outside, and it was so cold we'd wrap up in the blankets every week and freeze to death. And we had these buses that we converted these buses into homeless shelters. And um, the rule was, you can't, well, you can't have a shelter. I said, we don't have a shelter. We got a camper. And the city be like, well, what do you mean? I said, well, I can't help if homeless people get in the camper at night. Well, your camper can't be stationary. So I said, how long can it not be stationary? Well, it can't be there more than seven days. So every seven days, we move it 100 feet. <laughs> and then every seven days, we move it back over here. And I'd mark it when they show it. Like, oh, it was over there seven days ago. You can't run a shelter. I said, we're not running a shelter. They just sleep in the bus. Well, you ought to put a lock on it. I said, well, is that code? I got to put a lock on it? Well, no. I said, well, I ain't putting a lock on it then. And then we ran out of kids' space. Anybody remember this? So then we converted one of the buses into a kids' area, and we put it behind the building so you would check your kids in. Man, if you're new here, you don't even know. <laughs> so we wouldn't tell the new people that their kids were going to a bus. We'd check them in inside. Then we'd take them outside to the school bus, and the kids would be like, oh, the bus is there. I remember mom was like, I just love the bus theme. I'm like, it ain't no theme. They're in a bus. <laughs> like, we had security with guns outside the bus to make sure nobody broke into the bus. But then a problem happened. It became summer. And the bus is made out of metal. And so we started cooking kids inside the bus. <laughs> so then listen to what we did. I don't even know why. This so then what you don't know is that used to be the back of the grocery store. There's walk-in freezers back there. So we unplugged the walk-in freezers, hung sheetrock in them, and then our kids met in freezers. High class, Action Church. <laughs> and can I tell you something? I look back and I'm so thankful for those days. I miss some of those days. Like the doors over there, if you leave here and go look at those doors, you know we got those doors outside? The, the city said, you got to have push doors. I said, we can't afford push doors. They were expensive. I'm driving through the parking lot one day at Riverstone, and they're remodeling the Red Lobster. And there was doors leaned up against the door. I said, what are you doing with them things? We're fixing them. I said, no, you ain't. They got push bars on them. We're taking them. So we have red lobster doors over there on the church. What you don't know is some of these lights came from the Pink Pony Strip Club. You say, how'd you get them? I'm not going to tell you how we got them. But guess what? The Lord provided. 
Oh, BTW, some of them chairs you're sitting in came from there too. I can't tell you, I didn't go in there and get them. But like, man, God just provides. And you remember, we prayed for this building, for, and the landlord would not let us have this building. He would not. I remember him telling me, he's a great man, our landlord. And he said, oh, you know, one day a Publix is going to want to come in there. And I'm like, no, it's not. Like, no, it's not, man. Publix is not coming in. Like, well, it's got all the freezers and everything for a... It's got freezers that are like 50 years old and all the crackheads have stole the copper out the back of it. Like, they don't work. And then he messed up and gave me a key. So we just started storing stuff over here. And we had like 25,000 square foot of storage space. And one day he came in and the roof, remember the ceiling was caving in because it was leaking. So I said, Dan, this is what happens when no one's in the building. Let us use the building and we can at least make sure the ceiling don't cave in. And dang, he's let us have it ever since. Now he loves us. And now he's talking about selling it. And everybody's like, where are we going to go? I don't know. God will provide. We ain't worried about it. We're not about this building. We'll go to the next place. Man, I'm thankful for this church. So many people tell me, this church saved my life. No, this church didn't save your life. God saved your life. It's just a tool of use. But man, in a lot of ways, this church saved my life too. There's been times I hated y'all. I didn't leave, and God made me love you again. There's times you hated me, and God made you love me. Man, this is a special place. It's weird and messy and nasty and gross. And, man, we got people that actually live in the building. It's just a weird place. But, man, lives get changed here. Lives get changed here. And it's, I said all that to say this. It's so easy to complain about this place. It's so easy to gripe about things. I get it. I don't like everything that goes on around here either. But at the end of the day, I'm not going to let God steal my joy when it comes to this place. Because, man, it's a miracle place that God's doing amazing things. Hey, the devil wants to steal your joy. I promise I'll get back on course next week and make a little more sense. But we just needed some things to be thankful for today. You mark my words, the devil's fixing to attack you during the holiday season. He's going to beat you up. He's going to come after your children. He's going to come after your sanity. He's going to come after your marriage. He's going to come after your finances. He's going to come after whatever battles you deal with, whether it's depression or anxiety or, or man, they say suicide shoots up. But listen, listen, just don't let him. Step back and be thankful. Step back and be thankful. We have so much. I could give you a thousand. I, I loved when Phil said we were doing 10,000 reasons. 10,000 reasons, man, to celebrate God. I couldn't give you 10,000, but I can give you five. Well, I could have. We'd been here forever. But I wanted to give you four. Our salvation, the suffering, our story, and, man, the sanctuary around here. God does amazing things. Hey, we're just getting started. God's got some amazing things coming up here. Trust me when I say 2019 is going to be whole nother level of awesome. Let's pray.